welcome to our podcast for college Catholics where we discuss faith and spirituality from a Catholic perspective. I'm Father Patrick and thank you for joining me today. In the Gospel of St. John, chapter 6, verses 51 and following, our Lord tells his disciples that he will give them his flesh to eat and his blood to drink. Now that is a crazy thing to say if you're trying to attract people to your side. And then he made it more difficult by saying that if we eat his flesh and drink his blood, he will raise us up on the last day. So he was referring to the mystery, the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist. The sacrament that he would institute later during the Last Supper and leave to the church as a gift for all the ages. In the Holy Eucharist, he himself remains with his body, his blood, his soul, and his divinity under the appearance of bread and wine. So you see bread and wine. You touch bread. You taste bread. When you drink, you taste wine. But you're receiving, you're eating the body of Jesus and you're drinking the blood of Jesus. But with the external appearances of bread and wine. Now, throughout history, millions of Christian faithful have lived on this faith. They have believed this truth, have received the sacrament, and many times even died for this sacrament. And still, what they saw was bread and wine. They believed it was the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, in some occasions throughout history, God has granted some people to actually see the transformation of the bread into true human flesh, and sometimes the wine into true human blood. And this is what we call a Eucharistic miracle. A Eucharistic miracle is when there is a scientifically inexplicable event related directly to the bread and the wine that, has, that was consecrated by a Catholic priest during the Holy Mass. Now, there are different types of Eucharistic miracles, but the most amazing ones are when the bread or the wine turn partially or completely into human flesh and human blood. So these are not things made by men. It is God who performs these amazing miracles. Now, one thing to consider is why does God make these things happen? And we cannot properly know the mind of God in this regard. He hasn't told us the exact reasons why he would do miracles like these. But there are some reasons that we could argue or we could think regarding why God would do such things. So the first reason that we can think about is that he does it to confirm with a visible fact the truth of faith taught by Jesus Christ regarding the Blessed Sacrament. A second reason, and this could be concluded by the you know, historical background of each miraculous event that happened, if you read more about them, right? So a second reason would be that he wants to let us know that our Lord is truly offended in the Eucharist by the sins and sacrileges done against the Eucharist. And it could be a sort of prompting to make reparation for all the many offenses done against the Eucharist throughout the ages, right? So finally, a third reason that we can think about is that he does it to move 
many other people who don't believe to open their hearts to this truth. And also to remind all the other faithful that we should adore our Lord, who is truly present in the tabernacles of our Catholic churches. And he calls us to himself to not leave him alone. So I'm not sure if this happens to you, but after reading in detail and seeing some of these miracles in person, it helps me as a priest, it helps me a lot. When I look at the consecrated host, or I hold it in my hands on a daily basis, so as not to get used to seeing bread, but always renewing my faith in the fact that what I'm holding in my hands actually is the flesh, the blood, the soul, and the divinity of Jesus Christ. So in last episode, episode 79, I spoke about the Eucharistic miracle of Lanciano in Italy that happened in the 8th century, and the miracle of Bolsena that happened in the 13th century and is kept and now kept in the Cathedral of Orviero in Italy as well. So this time, I'd like to share with you something that happened more recently, actually during my lifetime and in my own hometown. The Eucharistic miracle, this one that I'm going to tell you about, happened on August 18th. Okay, it began on August 18th, 1996, in a church called Santa Maria in Buenos Aires, Argentina. And by the way, that day was almost one month before I was ordained a deacon. So after the 7 p.m. Mass on August 18th, the local priest, Father Pezet, was told by a parishioner that there was a communion host that had been left in a candlestick in the back of the church. So apparently what happened is that a person had taken the host during communion and dropped it to the ground, and then instead of taking it and consuming it or eating it, they left it there in a candlestick. So Father Pezet went to take the host, but as he was unable to consume it himself at the moment, what he did is to put it in a glass of water and leave it in the tabernacle. And so, by the way, that is a common practice in such cases, so as to allow the host, or the bread, if you want, to dissolve. The reason behind that is that typically it is understood that when the communion host is dissolved, the real presence of Jesus is no longer there. So when you find a host in a similar situation, right, and you cannot consume it, or the priest cannot consume it, what he does is he puts it in a glass of water or a receptacle with water and keeps it in a safe place like the tabernacle where Jesus is also present in the ciborium. So what happened is that after doing that, about a week later, August 26th, when the priest went to check on that host to see if it was already dissolved, he noticed that there was some red substance in the host, like a bloody tissue, some, some blood stains there. So he decided to inform the Archbishop of Buenos Aires, who at the time was Cardinal Bergoglio, who is now the current Pope Francis. The following month, September 6th, 1996, Cardinal Bergoglio asked that the host be professionally photographed and then kept in the tabernacle. So you can probably find pictures of this host if you Google, for example, Eucharistic Miracle in Buenos Aires, apart from finding this podcast, hopefully, uh, you'll also find pictures 
right, of the host with stains of blood. So Colonel Begoglio at the time instructed the priest not to publicize anything, just to make sure that they would investigate things first to make sure that if it's a miracle, that it was a true miracle, right? So after three years, the bloody tissue had still not decomposed, which is in itself an incredible event, because nothing had been done to preserve that tissue in any way. So then on October 1999, Cardinal Bergoglio asked the bloody tissue to be scientifically examined. So the scientist entrusted with this task was Dr. Ricardo Castañón Gómez. Dr. Castañón Gómez sent a sample of the tissue to a forensic committee in New York without indicating the origin of the tissue. So the study that they did, there was a committee, so there were several people, The study that they did indicated that the tissue was from a human heart of blood type AB, which happens to be the same one of the Shroud of Turin, and that the cells in the tissue were inexplicably still alive. In 2004, another famous doctor, forensic doctor, Dr. Frederick Zugibe, also studied the sample, and again he was sent the sample without telling him the origin of the tissue, so where it had come from. So to, you know, to uh, ask him to make a study to see his conclusions without knowing where it actually came from. So I'm going to read his conclusions because it's very uh, telling, you know, what he, uh, let's say, testified. Uh, and it's most interesting that he didn't know the origin of the sample, right? And much less that it came from a communion host. So this is what he said. The analyzed material is a fragment of the heart muscle found in the wall of the left ventricle, close to the valves. This muscle is responsible for the contraction of the heart. It should be borne in mind that the left cardiac ventricle pumps blood to all parts of the the human body. This tissue from the heart muscle is in a swollen condition, and contains a large number of white blood cells. This indicates that the heart was alive at the time the sample was taken. It is my contention that the heart was alive since white blood cells die outside a living organism. They require a living organism to sustain them. Thus their presence indicates that the heart was alive when the sample was taken. What is more, these white blood cells have penetrated the tissue which further indicates that the heart had been under severe stress, as if the owner of the tissue had been beaten severely in the chest area. Up to there, the quote of Dr. Zugibe. So what is useful to understand is that this, uh, these scientific findings rule out the possibility of some kind of fraud, right, or the possibility of having obtained this tissue from some dead body. Because according to the scientific findings, the person from whom this tissue was removed, supposedly, was still alive at the moment of the removal. It was only after these first conclusions that this uh, Dr. Sugibe was told that the samples were obtained in 1996, which was like eight years before. So when he heard that the tissue was from 1996, Dr. Sugibe was really surprised and he said the following. You have to explain to me one thing. 
if this sample came from a dead person, how could it be that while I was examining, the cells of the sample were moving and pulsating? If the heart came from someone who died in 1996, how could it still be alive? So up to there, Dr. Zogibe's response, right, which is pretty incredible, right, that something like that would happen. That is definitely miraculous. Now, this miracle is still visible today in the parish of Santa Maria in the neighborhood of Almagro in Buenos Aires, in case you ever want to visit it. You would probably have to call ahead uh, to the parish because I understand that they don't have it always displayed to the public. However, I think that the most important thing here is to draw some conclusions from this and all the other Eucharistic miracles. So first of all, it's important to remind ourselves, right, remind you, that there's a miracle that happens in every Mass when the words of consecration are said by the Catholic priest. What happens is that we don't see it, right? But the bread in, indeed turns into body and the, and the wine into blood. We don't see them happen. We don't, we don't see that happening because the substance is changed from bread to body to flesh and the, from wine to blood. The substance is changed. But the appearances or the accidents or the uh, species, as they say, remain. And that is what we call the transubstantiation, right? The miracle of the transubstantiation that happens in every Mass at the consecration. A second conclusion or thought is that we, must ask, we should ask ourselves, what message does our Lord want to transmit us in these miracles? Several of these miracles contain tissue of the heart and human blood. So I think it's a reminder that the Eucharist is a gift of the sacred heart of Jesus, a gift of his love, a gift of his heart. And that the bread and wine, you see, is no longer that. It's no longer bread and wine, but the flesh and the blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. A third conclusion is that at the same time, I think it's an indication that his love is many times wounded by our indifference or even our offenses against the Eucharist, against the Most Blessed Sacrament. And a final conclusion is that I think that our Lord is calling us, He's calling me and He's calling you as well, to do reparation for all those offenses He receives in this Most Blessed Sacrament of the altar. He is calling us to love Him more. He's calling us to adore Him in the Most Blessed Sacrament in the tabernacle. So here... Here are some uh, final suggestions for you. First of all, try to receive communion frequently with a spirit of devotion and always in the state of grace, right? We should avoid receiving communion in the state of mortal sin. Always go to confession before communion if you are in mortal sin. A second thing is to try to do short visits to Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament frequently, maybe once a day or maybe every other day if you cannot. But that way, you visit our Lord as a friend. You renew your faith in the Eucharist. You accompany Him. You tell Him that you love Him. And finally, to try to spend, at some point, an extended period of time, every week if possible, in adoration before our Lord, whether it is before the host solemnly exposed in adoration or before the tabernacle, to give to Jesus 
the adoration that we truly owe him, right? So remember that if you spend time in adoration before the Blessed Sacrament, again, whether it's adoration, solemn adoration with a monstrance and everything, or before the tabernacle that is hidden, right? The door is shut. You don't see the Eucharist, but you know it's there. You will receive countless blessings. You will receive an incredible amount of grace, and our Lord will be very thankful for your company. He will bless you abundantly. Because our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament is always waiting for you to visit him. He's waiting for you. He's there for you. He wants you, he wants you to visit him so that he can bless you and shower his graces upon you. So I have heard many times from different people that at one point in their life or sometimes uh, in different moments of their lives, they feel that God has abandoned them. And this is something that you might have experienced in the past or maybe even experiencing right now, that God might have abandoned you, that you don't experience the closeness of God. But the reality is that God never abandons us. He never abandons you. He is always there in the Eucharist waiting for you, accompanying you in the Eucharist. We are never alone. You are never alone. So try to visit our Lord sometime this week and don't let him remain alone and unaccompanied in the tabernacle. Again, he will shower his blessings upon you and he will be always thankful for those moments that you remain with him. So thank you for sharing your time with me today. Make sure you share this episode with some other young people. If you can, remember to follow or subscribe to this podcast in your platform. And if possible, leave a review in Apple Podcasts. So may God bless you, and we will see you next time.